Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. Welcome to another exciting episode of Common Sense. I'm your host, Ben Carson, and I want to think today a little bit about what's happening with our country and God. You know, belief in God has fallen to its lowest new point in the United States. And could faith in God potentially be one of the solutions to the divisiveness that's in our society today? Our guest thinks that a revival may be in order. Hello, everyone. I want you to know that only 81% of people in the United States of America now believe in God. Now, that's still a majority, but it's a historic low for us, a country that was founded on godly principles, a country where every bill in our wallet and every coin in our pocket says, in God we trust, where our Pledge of Allegiance says we are one nation under God, where our founding document tells us that our rights come from God. So when 19% of your population doesn't even believe in God, obviously that opens up some interesting dynamics. And, you know, you wonder about what's happening with all of these mass shootings and the violence in our society. Could it be that the Judeo-Christian principles of loving your neighbor and respecting other people, even when you don't agree with them, has something to do with what's happening? Maybe has a lot more to do with what's happening than the existence of guns? Because if you look at a country like Switzerland, everybody has a gun. And yet, they don't have anywhere near the gun violence that we do. So it really makes you think that there may be some other things involved here. The decline in church membership, particularly among young people, raises a lot of concerns about the future ability of the church to impact the society that we're living in. And church membership it's at its lowest level, 47% since the group began measuring that particular statistic in 1937. So all of this obviously is causing us some concern, and that's why I invited our wonderful friend, Senator Jim DeMint, chairman of the Conservative Partnership Institute, to the show today to talk about 
the decline in faith and how that is affecting our communities and our relationships. So welcome, Jim, and thank you for being willing to spend some time with us today. Well, Dr. Carson, honored to be with you. Uh, thank you. I'd like to start by asking you, how are religious institutions and, and faith-based organizations central to the resiliency and strength of communities, or are they? They're indispensable, Dr. Carson, and, and as you uh, mentioned opening up, all of the ideas that are essentially American come from our founding documents that say our rights come from a creator and that we form governments to protect those rights. Unfortunately, our government for the last 50 years has been teaching our children that God didn't create the heavens and the earth, as it says in the first sentence of the Bible. I was with George Barna a few weeks ago. He's been doing research on the Christian church for decades. And he said only about 35% of pastors in the U.S. have a biblical worldview and less than 10% of youth pastors. So while 80% may say they believe in God, the Judeo-Christian principles that we know come straight from the Bible. And, and these are ideas that go back to marriage and family, charity, love, morality, uh, a lot of things that we don't talk about anymore because we've moved away from the idea that there is a God who created us, who gave us our rights, and we're responsible for them. So I honestly believe that the divergence that we see in America today begins with the belief in God. Socialism, Marxism, all is secular-based. Uh, tyrants throughout history who've pushed communism and Marxism always try to get rid of Christianity uh, before they get started because they know the people can't have two masters. And if you believe in God right. and you feel accountable to God, and you're not going to go out and shoot people. Uh, but as you pointed out, a lot of the, the problems in our society from, from unwed births and broken homes and things that are the root causes of many of our problems go back to the fact that we've left the idea of biblical beliefs. It's, it's really not just a belief in God. The Judeo-Christian principles that include self-reliance and hard work and almost everything you need to be a success come from the Bible. And it's no longer, I mean, we don't allow the Bible to even be taught or mentioned or brought to schools. So we've got to expect there are going to be some changes in America if we purge God and biblical ideas from the public square. Absolutely. And you know, religious institutions have also made very important contributions to America on the healthcare front. Nearly one in five hospitals in the United States affiliated with uh, one of the religious organizations. That's pretty amazing. And three and a half million school children attend religious schools. That said, we do have this tendency to want to push God out. And, you know, when Khrushchev told Eisenhower 60 years ago that your grandchildren's children will live under communism and we won't have to fire one shot, there were four things that he knew that had to occur in order to make that happen. Number one, gain control of the school systems so that you could indoctrinate the kids. 
Number two, gain control of the media so you control the narrative. Number three, replace faith in God with faith in government. And number four, raise the national debt astronomical level so that you could justify massive taxation, redistribution of wealth, and complete dependence on the government. They seem to be moving along that line pretty well, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, the, the real question is, can we, can we stop it? And if so, what do you think would be the mechanism that we could use? Well, the government's not going to stop it. They're going to continue to push, uh, despite uh, occasional victories from uh, conservatives and Christians. Um, this is really going to have to be done by the church. And the, the church, again, has to restore its belief in biblical truth. If the Bible's not true, then we really don't have anything to go on. Um, so we need churches not, not only to be biblically based, but to be engaged in the political sphere. It's a stewardship of, of Christians to be involved with uh, taking care of the country that God has given us. And if you go back to the, the parable of the talents that uh, Jesus told, I think you could switch the word talent to vote. And if, if you have a vote and you're not using it, it's just like hiding it under a rock. And um, I, I think uh, we're going to be held accountable for the stewardship that we practice. And so I think pastors need to be really engaged with telling the truth, to talking about biblical beliefs. And as you mentioned, not only hospitals, but many schools, but most of the ideas that we would call American are really biblical Judeo-Christian ideas. So we need to call on the church to help restore that. Absolutely. And we'll be right back with more. Stay with us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And we're back uh, with Senator Jim DeMint. You know, it's very telling that uh, when Alexis de Tocqueville came to America to study our nation, uh, because the Europeans wanted to know what made us tick, you know, they wanted to know how a fledgling nation barely 50 years old could already compete with them on virtually every level. And he looked at so many things. Uh, he did an incredible analysis in his two-volume set, Democracy in America, looked at our government, and was really impressed by the separation of powers and uh, how we tried to take so many rights into consideration, was very impressed with our business model 
and how we try to create an atmosphere that encouraged innovation and entrepreneurship. Was very impressed by our school system. He could find a mountain man, and the guy could read. The guy could tell him about the Declaration of Independence. You didn't find that in other parts of the world. But the thing that really blew him out of the waters were the churches and the amazing sermons that came from the pulpits that were so inspirational that a ragtag bunch of militiamen was able to defeat the most powerful military force on earth. And, uh, you know, that gave the American people a sense of morality and community. Now, you know, some people say, well, it couldn't have been that great because they had slavery. But, uh, you know, you have to recognize that slavery has been a part of every society since there's been written history of mankind. And uh, the only thing that's really unique about the United States is that we had so many people who were vehemently opposed to slavery that we fought a bloody civil war and lost a large portion of our population in order to get rid of it. And uh, that says something about the moral fabric that was instilled into our people. And uh, I, don't, I don't think that we can ever forget about that. But, you know, our government has acknowledged the importance of faith-based organizations. George Bush established the White House Office of Faith-Based Community Initiatives in 2001. And there was reestablishment of similar capacities by the Obama and Trump administrations. Trump had more executive orders around religion and preservation of religious rights than everybody else put together. A lot of people won't acknowledge that, but uh, he was really Johnny on the spot in that particular area. But uh, one of the things that I found to be so interesting as Secretary of HUD is we started something called the Mustard Seed Program. And if you go back to Chapter 17 of the Book of Matthew, it talks about faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. Well, what we discovered is that the churches were right there in the neighborhoods where you had a lot of homelessness, violence, other types of uh, societal decay, and that they were probably best suited to deal with them, to come up with programs and ways to deal with that because they could develop relationships with the people. And what the government could do is then support the churches in that endeavor rather than the other way around. Because people don't develop relationships with the government, but they do develop relationships with other people. And uh, one church in particular, I remember in Riverside, California, had some extra property, and they built uh, homes on that property, which they maintained. And they brought homeless families into those homes and used all the resources of the church, social workers, dentists, uh, financial counselors, all kinds of people to focus on those families. And in most cases, those families were out of those homes and independent in the space of a year. That'll never happen with a government program. What do you think of the church being the, the spearhead for social change? You had a clear vision for that when you were at HUD. Dr. Carson, and you're exactly right. The government tends to trap people in dependency and discourage marriage and discourage work. 
But if you can get the churches involved, and, and I've worked in the inner city when I was a businessman and, and here in South Carolina, uh, the problem we ran into is uh, when the churches tried to get in, engaged in programs that overlapped with what the government d did, the government bureaucrats would often tell them there could be no religious teachings. There was daycare that they did for parents so that the parents could go work, and many times that was just the moms, but they said you could not have any religious material around, and it's the same with work programs and apprenticeships. Uh, we tried to get the churches working with these government agencies, and they kept getting this pushback. Uh, and you start calling people and say, is this really a law? And they said, no, it's not really a law, but you can't do it. They'll take away the parents' funding for daycare. Uh, but we we have to, as you know, right now, particularly on the Democrat side, is there's, there's a war on Christianity and a war on religion, and they're even calling Christians racist. Um, and we, if, if we want to fix our problems, we need to let volunteer, particularly the religious community, get engaged, challenge churches again to help the poor, just as you talked about with homelessness. But we've got to make sure that if there's a government program associated with that and helps to fund it, that we, we don't remove that funding because it's a religious organization. We just had a good Supreme Court opinion that was related to education where they said you yes. cannot discriminate. And I, I hope that opens up the door for religious institutions to re-engage with the culture and help solve the problems. And that if there's funding available for these things, that it can flow to the churches who are, who are actually solving problems. Absolutely. That was the, the Carson versus uh, Macon case in Maine with school vouchers. And the court decided that you couldn't, based on religion, exclude from government benefits. And that was a big deal. And also, we had the Supreme Court case of Kennedy versus Bremerton, the uh, football coach who was put through the ringer, but eventually won the case and had the ability to be able to pray. And he didn't have to hide the pray. He could pray wherever he wanted to. And really, when you think about the First Amendment, it says that no one should abridge the rights of someone to practice their religion. And somehow we seem to have forgotten about that uh, in a very, very big way. But we're going to be back in just a minute with Senator Jim Lament to talk a little bit more about this extremely important topic. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Senator Jim DeMent, talking about the role of religion in our society. And uh, Senator, what do you think about civility in our society? Do you think that faith plays a significant role in the whole concept of civility? Uh, I think it plays a central role. And 
the culture of a country drives a lot of the of the behavior of the people, and culture is is decided is built based on what is shamed or what is honored or or what is rewarded or what is punished. And we've got the Christianity, biblical Judeo-Christian ideas gives us those things that we should honor. We should honor parents. We should honor marriage and, and family and hard work. But we've moved away from that. And actually, we're shaming some forms of, of righteousness. Uh, and so I think it's without the biblical direction, we're just lost at sea. And as far as the government is concerned, I think they have kind of gotten across the idea for years, pushed it on the people that you can't bring any religious thought into public discourse, which is completely opposite of the founding of our country. So we need to keep pushing. And some of the recent Supreme Court cases, I hope will open the door for so many of us to just regain our confidence that the biblical ideas are the right ideas. And the more we can teach those to our children, the better they have a chance of succeeding. Well, you know, the, um, the House passed an act called Respect for Marriage Act. And uh, now there's a question of whether the Senate is going to vote on it to codify, federally codify, marriage between any groups. They don't have to be man or woman. They can be whatever, and there can be as many of them as they want to be, and there can be any kind of age. How could we get to that point in this country? And is this something we should be thinking about codifying? We should not, but the construction of that bill, Dr. Carson, is, is really very sinister. It's, it's typical of what happens in partisan politics, but including in that, in that bill, as you know, was codifying interracial marriage and the freedom to use contraceptives, which no one is threatening. There's no state in the union considering revoking interracial marriages or, or contraceptives, but they put it in the bill. So if Republicans vote against codifying gay marriage and other forms of, of marriage other than the traditional kind, then they're going to be accused of, of being opposed to interracial marriage and contraceptives. And that's what makes it harder. But c- clearly, I mean, if you just look at the data, aside from any religious principles of morality, the best way to raise children is in a marriage with a man and a woman. And we know if that happens, the chances of children living in poverty go down tremendously. And so it's one of the keys to the path to success is a marriage between a man and a woman bringing children up in that environment. Uh, And for the federal government to take a position against that is, I don't know, it's just a historic era. And we need to push back against it and, and do whatever we can to shame those who, who would vote for something like that. Yeah, I, I think it's such an important concept because to have the federal government on record as opposing God's Word and the Bible yeah. opens a door that I don't think we want to open and go down that pathway. And there's really no reason for the federal government to get into this. These are state issues, local issues, things that I think should be dealt with by the people and their elected representatives. Otherwise, we get into just the situation that our founders were trying to avoid, and that is having a ruler 
or a group of rulers who determine what happens in our lives. Marriage is essentially a religious institution. The states have helped to regulate it in order to protect it for many years. But that does not make it something that the federal government is entitled to change the definition of it. And, and that is violating the First Amendment to, to getting involved with religion, in my mind, if they take religious institutions and start redefining them, particularly the way that it's in a very immoral or anti-God way, I mean, we, we've got to push back. And so we've got to fight on our hands, and I think that's why you and I are still in this. Uh, but it's going to begin with faith and the belief that there is a God who gave us a purpose, who gave us rights, and that's, that's the only way we're going to change our culture. Well, unfortunately, many on the left are claiming that acknowledging religion by a public institution violates the rights of other people. I'm not exactly sure how they come up with that conclusion, but by having the media on their side and proclaiming that kind of thing, I think they create an environment that is uh, somewhat toxic. And uh, we're going to have to be very, very clever, extremely wise, and seek wisdom from God. Not any intention of, of hurting anyone or taking anyone's rights away, but of preserving one of our most fundamental rights, and that is freedom of worship, freedom of religion, and freedom to live our lives as we feel we should lead them. Now, you wrote a book, a fantastic book, if I do say so myself, called Satan's Dear. It was released last year. What's the relevancy in today's world? Well, Dr. Carson, thanks for mentioning that. The, the book, Satan's Dare, has, has given me a platform to talk about some of these ideas that we've talked about today. It's not a political book at all. It's a book that debates science and creation. It helps to answer questions about why there's suffering and tragedy in the world. But probably more than anything else, I think people who read Satan's Dare will develop a very strong confidence that the Bible is true, that God is real, that Jesus did come to save us from our sins and give us eternal life. But as somebody who's been in politics, it's refreshing for me to be able to speak about biblical ideas and biblical truth as I go around the country, trying to make the connection I think that you're doing today with this podcast is there is a direct connection between American ideas uh, and biblical ideas and, and where the country goes in the future. If we move away from biblical truth, we're going to move towards socialism and Marxism and dictatorship. There's just no question it's, it's happened throughout history. So um, I'd encourage people, whether it's Satan's Dare or others, if, if, uh, I just, just tell people that you can't read it without having more confidence uh, in biblical truth, and that's what we need today. And having read it, I, I will tell you, it's also very entertaining. <laughs> it's extremely well written, and it's, it's hard to put it down because you want to know what's going on in the next chapter. Well, uh, But thank you for, for writing that. And thank you for just being a tremendous public servant and uh, someone who brings a sense of morality and confidence, which is what we need. What we're fighting against 
is something that has naturally occurred in so many societies throughout history. The tendency to push God away and to become dominant. And uh, that's actually a natural function of government, to grow, to infiltrate, and to dominate. Our Constitution was designed to keep that from happening in our country, but we have to use it wisely and appropriately to maintain the freedoms and the joy that we have in this nation. So uh, once again, Senator, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for what you do with the Conservative Partnership Institute. Thank you for the help that you gave American Cornerstone when we started. Uh, We're moving into new offices now, but we couldn't have done that without the help of CPI. So thank you for doing that. And uh, we'll be right back and I will answer some of your questions. And we're back. I hope you enjoyed our time together with uh, Senator Jim DeMent. They had some terrific insights on religion in our society today. Let me answer a couple of questions from our listeners. Abigail Hughes asked the first question. Dear Dr. Carson, I would love to know your thoughts on the following question. With increasing politicization seeming to infiltrate the medical community, and influence how physicians treat patients. Do you believe that medicine has lost its way? As a student contemplating medical school, I would love to know your answer to this as soon as you are able to answer it. I'm concerned about the push to ignore scientific data, for instance, in the treatment of COVID-19, and to force physicians to do things in contrast to their beliefs. It's a very good question. When you think about what's going on in our society, just recently at a white coat ceremony at the University of Michigan, students walked out because the speaker was pro-life. Now, her message had nothing to do with pro-life or pro-choice, but the fact that she was a person who was a pro-life proponent, they didn't want to hear anything she had to say. Now, why is that particularly worrisome in the medical community? Because if you can't even stand to be in the room with somebody you disagree with and listen to, how in the world can you treat them as a physician? How will you treat them as a physician? Or will you treat them or will you let them die? I mean, this is a very, very serious situation, and I can understand why Abigail might be uh, concerned about that. However, I can tell you that there are still tons, thousands and thousands of physicians who don't think that way. And uh, there are many physician organizations that are forming now to resist the forces that want to make physicians into sheeple. They just do as we tell you, or we're going to take your license away. That's, that's a real problem, and we saw a lot of that during COVID, people losing their website privileges and a number of other things because they wouldn't toe the line. And uh, what's so interesting is that many of them who were adamantly opposed to mandates 
are now having to resist saying, see, I told you so, because now we see that the vaccines don't really prevent the spread. They may ameliorate the symptoms. They may. But why would you mandate someone have to take something that doesn't actually work? It's really rather interesting. And why would you mandate that children take it in order to be able to go to school, as some jurisdictions are contemplating? We know that the risk for children is 0.025% for death or serious complications. That's approaching zero. Why would you trade almost zero risk for unknown long-term future risk? Again, that doesn't make sense. Why do they all of a sudden not want to acknowledge what we've known for hundreds of years about natural immunity and how effective it is? Simply because if you acknowledge natural immunity, then you can't insist that everybody get the vaccine. Now, there are so many things that really are beneath the integrity that we normally associate with the medical profession. It's a little bit embarrassing. But do remember, there are many who have not gone down that pathway. So, Abigail, please continue to be interested in medicine and consider that as an option for you. We have another question from Kathleen from Lakewood, Colorado. She says, Dr. Carson, it's hard not to get disheartened these days at the state of our nation. I can't even have a conversation these days with neighbors without it becoming a contentious debate or an awkward situation. Dr. Carson, what is your advice for healing the divisiveness in our country? That's a very good question, Kathleen. You know, it used to be Democrats and Republicans, and they fought like cats and dogs. But then they go out and, and have dinner together, and they were fine. And that was because they wanted the same things. However, they had different approaches for how to get there. Now, we're not just dealing with Democrats and Republicans. We're dealing with people who like our country and like our system, realize that we have had some errors in the past because we're inhabited by imperfect people, but have a system that has provided wonderful opportunities for so many people. And then we have another group that says we have a rotten country, rotten to its core, it's systemically racist, it's unfair to all kinds of people, and it really needs to be redone and we need to have people who understand what's good for everybody else in charge. So those are two areas that are pretty difficult to bridge. But we have to try. We have to try by talking to each other. Because recognize, before people get divorced, what's, that's what they do. They stop talking to each other. You know, before they couldn't keep their hands off of each other. They loved each other so much. They called each other all the time. And then by the time they're ready for divorce, they don't talk to each other, and the spouse becomes the devil incarnate. So that communication is important. And, you know, when you meet people, you meet neighbors, you meet colleagues, don't start off with something contentious. You know, develop a relationship. Get to know people. And then once you get to know them, you know, asking questions like, why do you believe that women should kill babies because it's inconvenient to have them. 
just curious. Why why do you believe that? And do you think there are any alternatives to that? You know, just asking questions rather than coming out blatantly and condemning people because then they're on the defensive and it's very hard to get back to people once they get on the defensive like that. So we'll answer some more of your questions next week. And I just want to remind everybody to make sure that you come back next week. People are hurting all over our nation. And we have something for you to think about. We have people struggling financially to put gas in their car, to put food on the table. But we can't rely on the government to help our people. We must play a role in helping our fellow citizens. So for your prescription for this week, I'd like you to go to the nearest faith-based organization of your choice and find a way to help and give back to your community. It's on us to bridge the divide and to lift up our fellow citizens. Please subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts to Common Sense or to Stitch or to Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us out a lot when you do that. And also, you'll never miss an episode. And remember to rate us and to review us and spread the word if you like the show. I want to very much hear from you, so email me your questions. Email me at ben at americancornerstone.org, and we will try to answer your questions on the show, but keep them short. That's ben at americancornerstone.org. And remember the cornerstones, faith, liberty, community, and life. We'll see you next week. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.